Yep. At the same time, right? Because you're you're dealing with the IRS, right? So you can't you can't lose your cool, right? Because you need the IRS. The IRS is the the, uh, the leader of the land, right? We, in our world, and so you've got to got to keep your cool, but just kind of woosaw as you're on the phone with them, dealing with whatever shenanigans are coming out. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I'm joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well. We spent our weekend putting in flooring in our house, and uh, I had some people close to me asking me, well, why don't you just pay somebody to put in the flooring? And I was like, <laughs> because I worked it out, and they wanted like $200 an hour to put in the flooring, and that seemed a little excessive to me. Mm-hmm. Kind of felt like a slight bit of a markup on that piece of the home improvement process. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're they're charging close to lawyer rates there. It's a little, little touchy. It's uh-uh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm not saying that uh, nobody is allowed to charge lawyer rates for anything, but the installation of vinyl plank laminate in my house probably is not the service that I would expect to cost that much money. Exactly. Yeah, it's you can do it right. You just don't want to do it. That's the thing, right? It's just it's very time consuming and, you know, labor intensive. You're on your knees the whole time. But but you did it. Sounds like you did it. We did some of it. We did some. Well, we did like the we have one larger family room. It is completed and then it runs into the kitchen and a portion, maybe a fourth of the kitchen is done at this point. We've got quite a bit left to do, and there are quite a bit of areas with little angles and cuts and things that'll have to be negotiated. But hopefully, number one, we're better at doing this stuff now because we just spent all weekend doing it. (laughs) And number two, I am just assuming that all of the vinyl plank that I pull out of all of the existing boxes that are unopened at this point will come out in perfect form and they will snap together easily. <laughs> My experience with the prior boxes that we opened up is that they did not snap together with quite the ease that all of the videos and tutorials claimed they did. Of course, of course, right? It's just easy, Brent, right? You take part A and part B and you put together and there you go. It just yeah. takes a few seconds. That's it. Just put them together. You give it a little tap, just a little light tap. It just snaps right in. And that's it. That's what they led me to believe. That is not <laughs> what happened. So on the, on the theme of complaining about things, <laughs> I thought today we could complain about the things that are annoying us this week. Things we hate this week. I so, like it. All right. So I will go first. Okay. That's okay with you. That sounds good. Should you go ahead and I shoot? got I yeah, I got some stuff to get off my chest here. <laughs> and I might as well subject you to this. <laughs> I keep seeing comments and analysis about social security retirement. Okay. On the topic of should a person who's entitled to social security retirement payments defer taking their payments because the longer you defer, I think until age 70 or something, the more you can get when you actually finally do start taking out social security payments. And allegedly, if you defer, then it increases the amount of money that you get overall. This is the theory, okay? 
But what I never hear anybody say is one of two things, and maybe both of these two things in this analysis. Number one, that analysis is based on the assumption that somebody will not die or that somebody will survive their entire life expectancy, which since the life expectancies are basically averages, that's not a statistic, that's not possible all the time. But they're averages. Life expectancies are averages based on mortality tables. And there's no guarantee that somebody's going to live their life expectancy. It's just what the government thinks based on census data and actuarial tables, somebody's life is going to look like. But that's not a given. That's not a given. So waiting may not actually net you the amount of money that the IRS or anybody else's life expectancy tables seem to suggest you would get. So this whole idea that you can predict with some sort of certainty that you'll be better off if you defer taking Social Security payments is kind of ridiculous to me. But nobody, as far as uh, I have been seeing, and maybe I'm just reading all the wrong sources, points that out. The second thing that I rarely see anybody point out, if ever, is that if you start taking the money early, you don't have to spend it all. And the assumption seems to be that when Social Security payments are made to an individual, they will spend it all. And there will be zero left at the end of the year, rather than a person of some means who still qualifies for Social Security payments, taking the money and investing the money. And if you can take essentially free government money, yes, you got to pay some tax on it for some percentage, 85% or so, the Social Security payments. But take the net amount of that money, which is free money basically given to you from the government, and then investing it and the money growing over time that you're going to do worse off by taking it sooner and getting more sooner and having those investments grow sooner than deferring. And I don't see people talking about that element of Social Security retirement planning because the planning seems to assume, again, that you take the money out, you spend every dime down to zero every year, and then you do it again the next year. I completely agree with you on that point. Absolutely. I feel like the conversation is very much retirement planning and then Social Security. They're two separate things. They're not combined and they really do need to be combined for a lot of individuals, right? For some individuals, there may not be a lot on the retirement planning, but what we typically see, right, and in our day-to-day is that you've got a lot of retirement plans. You've got clients who are going to be taking their required minimum distributions each year. So they're not solely relying on Social Security. And so there needs to be a bit more planning done ahead of time on how do you merge these two concepts of Social Security planning and then your retirement planning together. Like you said, if they put the assumption ahead of time, right, let's get get, get us an asterisk, a footnote or something that says that right off the bat. But yeah, the conversation is, is very much two separate things and not combining this concept of, no, it's it's a planning process of both your retirement and your Social Security. And there's a lot you can do with it. Like you said, there's a lot more that you can do with it than just simply spend it each month. Yeah, that's all. I'm just wanting a full picture. I just well, That's it. I just want the full picture. Things are complicated. Let's just get the full picture. Exactly. All right. All right. Well, that makes sense to me. So what's on my list this week? What, what uh, spins my spurs this week would be individuals who think attorneys go overboard. Right. And we've kind of talked about this before on the podcast where, you know, people, our clients have these great, beautiful, wonderful ideas that they come to us with. And as attorneys, we just shred that entire idea by asking them a million questions, coming up with all the millions of possibilities that things could go wrong. But we do it out of love. 
and we do it for good reason, which is that we've seen things go wrong in the past. We've seen things really go wrong where now you're settled in, in litigation for a long time, for years. You're paying a lot more attorney's fees than you ever had anticipated. And so we just, a lot of clients think that we just go overboard, right? And it's really not, it's really not. It's because we've seen these horrible, bad things that happen to other people before, and we don't want it to happen to you. And that's why when you come to us with an idea or with um, something that you think should be a very simple document, it might just not be that simple. There's a few more questions that I'm going to ask you. Um, my three years of law school have shown me that I need to spot multiple different issues that could arise. And so I'm going to bring those to your attention and then we need to add them into whatever document, whatever we're going to be doing. So we're not going overboard. We're just we're being very, very uh, protective of our clients. That's really what I think. Yeah, it's not like we're asking people to operate out of fear or that we're operating out of fear. Maybe there are some lawyers that do that and maybe some lawyers do overcomplicate things. But um, the idea that lawyers always overcomplicate things is just not quite accurate. Typically, it's more like people are getting into something and you just want them to, first of all, know what they don't know. And number two, make an informed decision. I just I just want clients to walk into things with eyes wide open. I'm not trying to overcomplicate things. Just, you know, walk into it with eyes wide open and with at least a minimum amount of protection. There you go. Yep. Yep. That's the way to phrase it. All right. Fine. I will take your lawyers complicate everything and I will raise you a <laughs> I am I'm a little annoyed right now with all of the like billionaire profiles that I see in the business spheres. Billionaire profiles in the sense that there are uh, quite a number of people out there in the world who like to to profile billionaires as like models. You know, it's like profile how they did it, how they get where they are. How can you lessons you can learn, things that you can implement, put into your life, you know, put into your business strategy, etc. Which I appreciate the intrigue about billionaires because, you know, a billion is a lot and achieving billionaire status doesn't just happen for anybody but it's like statistically zero percent of people uh who are billionaires so statistically 100 percent of people are not billionaires and i'm not really sure that the ideas and the strategies of billionaires are necessarily translatable into the strategies of normal people in normal business it might be interesting, but it doesn't necessarily translate into how somebody should be running their own business, nor is it necessarily true that somebody would want to try to be like a billionaire. First of all, they don't have the earning and, and business capacity that a billionaire does. And number two, why do you need to be a billionaire to be a success to begin with? You know, shouldn't you be modeling yourself out of somebody who's a lot closer to where you actually could be economically? Uh, or you would be where you actually would be very comfortable and happy economically. Doesn't it seem like that's the more appropriate person to be profiling and learning from, at least in my estimation? So when I see these billionaire profiles, I'm kind of like, OK, well, it's interesting, but it's basically entertainment news because not it's really not that translatable. Not all that helpful. Yep. Yep. I, I completely agree. It's and it's it's interesting, too, because I think everyone forgets to ask the question, do I really want all of that that comes with it? 
right? I mean, who doesn't want to be a billionaire, right? If I had a billion dollars just sitting here in my house, I mean, that'd be pretty cool, right? I could just roll around in money. But there's a lot of problems that come with that. And so do you really want that? Do you really, is that going to be your life goal? Or do you just want to be a millionaire, right? Like you're saying, who, it's taking your circumstances now, your your goals for yourself, for your family, and that's what you should be shooting for, right? And maybe if it is a billionaire, okay, then you could be shooting for a billionaire. But for most people, right, it's going to be a lot harder to start from zero and go to a billion in a lifetime, right? Maybe you should be shooting for the, the multi-millionaire. Let's shoot for the $100 million range or something, let's just say. And I think a lot of people forget, too, that our current billionaires, while some did start from zero, a lot started from some. And so they started with a leg up, right? And then they were able to grow that money. And as everyone knows, money makes money. And so it's kind of a lot easier to have your investments work a lot harder for you when you've got million dollars on the line rather than just a thousand or ten thousand dollars on the line. And so it's seeing these stories, seeing what these individuals did that made them so successful, which is great that they're so successful, but just having kind of that grain of salt, you know, realizing that it's they it's it's different circumstances for different individuals. And so just remember where you're at and kind of, you know, apply those tips and tricks to your own life and to your own goals. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of the tips and tricks that I hear from billionaires, I'm like, I, I, I don't really see why that's all that helpful. There's the fairly often shared quote by Elon Musk about working more hours per day than your competitor and then doing that over seven days a week. And then when you multiply that, it's so many more hours than your competitor. Therefore, you're going to be more successful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's fine for Elon Musk. But unless you're trying to form Tesla and SpaceX, I don't think you have to work that kind of uh, a schedule in order to live a productive and happy life. It's just like the idea that you would have to do that to live a productive and happy life is kind of absurd to me like, yes. good for him good for him but why would you need to do that why would you want to do that first of all and then why would you need to do that mm-hmm. exactly exactly I, yeah not everyone's trying to put uh you know the human population on mars they're not trying to build up uh, electric vehicles to be predominant in society they're not trying to you know fix all these problems in the world yeah exactly and i i think something too you know a lot of people need to take into consideration where all these individuals are today is going to be completely different from how they got to that point. Like you said, like if, if Musk is working seven days a week, 20 hours out of the 24 hour workday, you know, trying to fulfill his goals, um, you know, that's obviously how he got to his point. But where he is today or where some other billionaires are today are completely different strategies that they're using today than how they got to that point, right? When you um, hear about investors and their their risk analysis, right? Once they get to a certain threshold of wealth, there's a completely different analysis. It's now more preserving the wealth than trying to generate it. But when you're at that point of, you know, you're, let's just say you're starting from nothing, right? And you're trying to just really work and trying to generate that family wealth that we talk so much about on this podcast, there's different strategies. And so that's, you know, keep in mind that where someone is today might be different from how they actually got to that point. Yep. All right. I think that's enough. Um, we've we've bashed billionaires profiling, <laughs> I should say. We didn't bash billionaires, but billionaire profiling enough. Yes. Yes. 
I say so. Okay. So then let me see. Okay. I want to one up you then by talking about tax law changes. Ooh. And I, you know, we, we've got a lot of that going on this year, right? We don't really, oh, really yeah. know what's going to happen there. We, we talked about it before. There's a lot of changes going on, a lot of talk going on. There are going to be changes this year. There are going to be changes next year. We don't know. We're going to find out. And that's exciting. That's fun. That's something not to be annoyed about. But what is something to be annoyed about with tax law changes is when tax law proposals are marketed as being very simple, as being uh, very efficient and easy for the average person to understand and apply to their daily lives. And that's what's quite annoying because I don't know about you, but the internal revenue code, those big books that are sitting in the back of my office, th those aren't simple and those aren't easy. And I don't think people just pick those up in the library and, and read them on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, tax law changes, while marketed as simple and easy, and this is going to be so great for everyone, they are complicated. They change, you know, one rule can change five other rules that were previously done. And so you really have to just look at everything overall to see how that affects every person. And then depending on what you own, right, when uh, a tax law change could potentially be simple for some per for some individuals, depending on what assets they own. But for other individuals, it's just say there's going to be tax law changes to cryptocurrency and how cryptocurrency is going to be taxed on an income basis, on an estate tax basis. That's going to change and make things a lot more complicated for those individuals who are holding assets in crypto. And so it's it's. The fact that it's just simple, no, it's it's not simple. Um, I don't think anything about tax law is really ever simple, actually. No, it rarely is, but it's always packaged up. Every change is packaged up, or maybe not every change, but significant changes uh, are packaged up as tax simplification. It will be tax simplification, and that's the way it's talked about. And then when the actual bill comes out, uh, and you read it, you realize this is not tax simplification. This is just tax complication in a different variety from the varieties that we used to have in the past. But then the general public, including some of our clients, will think, well, I thought it was simplified. Where is the simple part? What is the thing that is simple about this? And you have to break the news to them that it is very far from that. It has everything to do with not being simple. And I get a little bit concerned when there are rumblings about doing tax law changes in the halls of Congress, because to your point, I look at the Internal Revenue Code two set volume of tissue paper thin thousands and thousands of pages of just the Internal Revenue Code, not including the regulations. And I think maybe somewhere in there, there's something that could be eliminated to address this issue. You know, it's like we need to raise money in order to spend some money like, well, maybe somewhere in the thousands and thousands of pages of tissue thin double double sided printed paper is the answer. You could just sort of turn off the spigot on some program that we have now and then that will raise the mon money that that you're looking for for some new program that you want to start. But that is rarely the way it works. But I don't I don't even know if I've really experienced anything uh, that wasn't turning off the spigot somewhere, but then adding about eighteen hundred other spigots. So I uh, I agree with you. I, I'm going to give you credit on on that one. That is uh, that is a topic that is irritating to me. So 
It's a good one, right? No, no yeah, one likes one. to read thousands of pages of legislation. I don't, I don't see people doing that on a, a day-to-day basis as a very relaxing and pleasurable pastime besides tax lawyers. Yeah, which is very, very sad. Uh, it's a very sad corner of the world. All right. Well, that was a good one. Let me uh, let me give you one final one. This one's a doozy. I don't even think you could top this one, Rachel. So my last thing that I hate of the week is the IRS customer service. I don't know if anybody has any experience with the customer service arm of the Internal Revenue Service. It might as well not exist. They don't really answer their phones. They don't answer their mail. They don't even open up tax returns. They don't even open their mail. They just have piles of mail that they haven't even opened or looked at. You never get a response from them. Oftentimes you get a response and it's almost non-responsive to the thing that you asked for. And then you get into this cycle again where you're asking for information and they're giving you not the information that you're asking for, but you can't call anybody. You can never get a human being on the phone. And if you do get a human being on the phone, they can't help you for some reason because there's, I don't know how many twists and turns in the IRS apparatus, but none of them talk to each other. And you never seem to be able to find the information that you're looking for, in my experience. Maybe I'm projecting on everybody else. Maybe I'm just assuming everybody has the same experience because I hate to think that the IRS has singled me out of the 380 million people in this country and they're just doing it to me. At a minimum, it helps me feel slightly better if I know that they're doing it to everybody else as well. (laughs) So rest assured, Brent, they do that to me. And they do it to our good friend, Deborah. And uh, from what I hear, they just they they don't have a great reputation overall. So it sounds like at least we're not being singled out. Maybe maybe there's a pod squad of us so that they're singling out. I'm not you know, we've got to double check on that theory now. Yeah, I'd like you to look into that, please. I can do that. that that's going to be my main focus now. But I <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. The the IRS tops the list no matter what. No one can go above the IRS. And I think the funny thing, too, is, you know, with the IRS, you talked about how no one talks to each other internally within the IRS. And that is so, I, I just so, it, it makes me nervous, right? And and as tax lawyers, when we're dealing with the IRS on a weekly basis, dealing with the IRS shouldn't be a nerve-wracking process. But I, I know, and I so, I, I can't imagine how clients or just individuals feel when you get a letter from the IRS. You're like, oh my gosh, what is this, right? And when you call up and after you sit on hold for about, you know, two or three hours or something like that, or, you know, sit on hold for an hour, maybe get disconnected and have to recall back in, um, and you finally get connected to a person, like you said, they don't have the information in front of them or they can't answer your question or you get transferred to someone else and get put on hold again. While all that's happening, you know, we're dealing with the IRS, there's likely penalties and interest that could be occurring while all of this madness is going on. And so I remember just this last year, we had a client that filed a tax return. Like you said, they don't they don't open the tax returns. The tax return was paper filed and then they didn't open it. So the client got the letter that there were penalties that were being accrued and an interest that was accruing. Yet it was filed. Everything was done perfectly the entire time. And it takes about five months for some division to get caught up and realize, whoops, we got it. We're good. 
And then there finally goes a letter saying, oh, we're actually okay. And it's just, ugh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. I think you're yeah. right. The, the IRS tops the list no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. The IRS definitely tops the list for me too. And that sort of ridiculousness is just so common with the IRS. It, thankfully, I guess from my selfish perspective, everybody seems to have a story like that of how horrible the IRS is to deal with. But just think of a massive organization that is meant to deal with the tax problems of this entire huge country that we live in. And they basically operate by snail mail. Snail mail, that is how they communicate. Like, can you imagine any other organization of any sort of reasonable success on the planet that would totally operate on snail mail? Because so, well, they don't answer the phone, so you definitely can't talk to somebody. But they, for the most part, they just operate on snail mail. It's crazy to me. And it's infuriating and maddening when you're trying to actually get real information from them and you're not able to do it. And it's beyond your control. You cannot move the machine. Nope. Nope. Yep. You have to play their game on their timeline. Mm -hmm. It's yep. Even facts, right? Like facts, which you think like hardly anyone does facts anymore, right? Sometimes you can fax it in and things still don't even get done. And that's about the fastest thing you could do right now, right? Because you can't email anything. You can't send anything digitally. So it's literally the fa fastest thing you could do is fax. That's not guaranteed. So it's usually what we do a fax, we do a snail mail. We might we might try a phone call later on and sit on hold for a bit to, you know, try and make sure they've got everything. A, a but bit. It's... Yeah, a bit. <laughs> a bit like most of the day. Yeah. <laughs> just just make make sure you're in the mood for elevator music basically for the rest of your afternoon. I was talking to somebody at the IRS one time on the phone, I actually got somebody on the phone and they said, "Well, you need to fax this document to me." I was like, "Great." Just hang tight. I'm going to fax this document. They're like, no, 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 no. You have to be on the phone when you fax it to me. I said, well, the fax machine is one floor above me. So it's not going to be possible for me to be on the phone while I fax it to you. They're like, well, I'm sorry. That's the only way that we can do it. I was like, well, okay, can I, can I hang up, fax it to you, and then call you back? No, you'll just have to go through the general service line again. I don't have a direct number. It's like, well, I guess we're at an impasse here. There's really... I don't have any options because I can't I can't go upstairs. I was it was you know, there wasn't really anybody in the office to help me at the time. And it's like like there was just nothing I could do. Nothing at all. There was no solution. I just couldn't fax properly fax something to the IRS and get a response from a human being who was actually on the phone at the time. It was like the worst nightmare scenario. You finally get somebody on the phone and they still can't talk to you. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. That's when you got the stress ball, right? And you're just like pumping the stress ball. You're like, okay, keep my calm. Keep my calm right it's now. It's just like shredding in your fingers. Yes. Crumbling in your fingers. Yeah, it's about like that. Yep. At the same time, right? Because you're, you're dealing with the IRS, right? So you can't you can't lose your cool, right? Because you need the IRS. The IRS is the the, uh, the leader of the land, right? We, in our world. And so you've got to keep your cool but just kind of woo-saw as you're on the phone with them dealing with whatever shenanigans are coming out. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for letting me gripe. Let me just end this by quoting Bill Gates' profile in Forbes <laughs> to prove the point of why I hate billionaire profiles. Quote, money has no utility to me beyond a certain point. Its utility is entirely in building an organization and getting the resources out to the poorest in the world Close quote. 
<laughs> that is dripping with irony. Uh, <laughs> that is the reason that billionaire profiles are not that interesting to me. All right. Well, Rachel, as usual, thank you for uh, listening to me complain. That was very cathartic. I feel much better now. This was fun. We, we got it off our chest. We, yeah. we can proceed with our day-to-day -day basis now. I can cancel my therapy sessions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were saving each other a lot of money right now by doing yes. this. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.